What's in a song? In a world of warbling birds and bellowing whales, the most musical of God's creatures are in fact the crown of God's creation, mankind. Music seems to be woven into our being in such a way that it draws feelings and thoughts out of us differently than words merely spoken. We are, by nature, singers. We sing when we are happy. We sing when we are heartbroken. We sing when we need to bear out our soul. This is no accident of evolutionary biology or a charming quirk of the human race. It is the design of God. God created a musical world and commanded that we fill it with songs of praise to him. But God didn't make singers and leave them songless. In fact, God hand-delivered a songbook to his church today. The book of Psalms is singular in its place among the volumes of scripture as an inspired collection of verses that lay bare the deepest emotions of those who strive to follow God. It was John Calvin who rightly said, I have been wont to call this book not inappropriately, an anatomy of all parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. So why are the Psalms at times neglected from our pulpits and in our studies? Is it an antiquated collection of expired hymns? Or does the Psalter still have a song for the soul of Christians today? Welcome to Who Let the Dogma Out, where doctrine has dominion over all of life. I'm one of your hosts, Titus Anderson, joined today by my partners in crime, Jack Wilkie and Daniel Mayfield. I'm I'm almost comfortable enough with you guys that I just wanted to append nicknames to you. What do you, how do you guys feel about um, Jack the Mac Wilkie and uh, Daniel Two Percent Mayfield? Which is that's a milk joke, not an economic joke, but. Just as long as you, well, but you're gonna have to up it to whole Daniel whole <laughs> Mayfield. I, I'm a hundred percent whole milk. Whole, <laughs> That's whole okay. Life. That's true. I knew you, I know you have milk opinions as well, which is why I thought it was appropriate. Where, where did that has that come out? Did I put that out on Facebook? Did you see that thing that I posted about milk? I, I know that you, yeah, I think I did where you, you have a milk take, which is good. I mean, it's good to be a man that's full of different kinds of takes. And I feel like you're a person <laughs> I got, that has I got a lot of them. <laughs> oh, dude, milk, milk is so underrated, man. I, I, it's like my main beverage, milk and water, but milk mostly like literally I probably drink two gallons a week. Wow. That's good. Yeah. I bet well, the nineties were the nineties were big for you with the got milk thing. Oh, they were big. That's what got me actually. Marketing so, works. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> but you know what? I will say this. I was a crazy kid jumping off of roofs, um, j- jumping off of big stair sets with my skateboard, like doing anything. And I never broke a bone. Knock, knock, I'm going to knock on wood here so that so that doesn't I, mean, I, don't, I don't trip out of the church building here in a minute. But I really think it was because I was drinking just like huge amounts of milk. Well, so. So you you were close with the two percent thing. You're you're on to the right direction there. So yeah. Anyway, I I'll be the Mac. Sure, I don't would <laughs> yeah Mac book I don't, or what? I don't, I don't think it's gonna stick, but you can try. I yeah, no, well, no name has ever stuck to me. So I'll come back. I'll come back with a better one. Just Jack, keep working Mac on it. Workshop Daddy. it. <laughs> That's a little weird. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's do the Psalms now. Now that we got the milk and the in the Mac, <laughs> the milk and the Mac. That might be it right there. Uh. <laughs> the Psalms, uh, that 
okay so this is we're, we're going to do wisdom literature in general psalms and i think song of solomon other stuff next week psalm uh, proverbs next week i'm getting it all mixed up but titus is the big psalms guy and and I think he's onto something and that we severely underrate the Psalms, uh, not just in general, but as, as worship in particular. So get us into that a little bit this week. Sure. So I think it was a few years ago that as I was studying the Bible and I was becoming enamored with the Old Testament in general, I just realized, wow, I, I really need to up my Old Testament game. That's such a rich um you know, a rich treasure trove of, of all of these wonderful pictures of the attributes of God and who he is, that I really got into the Psalms. I started reading the Psalms and going, wow, you know, the, these Psalms are so arresting in a way. And it was really the first time as I was kind of putting my, my feelers out there that I realized that people were singing the Psalms today. Uh, they were singing them in the worship setting, and that was totally novel to me. Now, incidentally, um, in various of the Psalm books that I've sang out of over the years, there have been Psalms in there, you know, the Lord's my shepherd, uh, the 23rd Psalm that we have a, a, a song version of that, that you can sing through and see, but the thought of singing through the Psalms purposefully, uh, was totally new to me. And when you think about the Psalms, a lot of times it's interesting when we hand out the little, uh, which I don't think that we, these are super helpful, but the new Testament, you know, pocket Bibles, what do you have? The new Testament, and the Psalms. Well, why are the Psalms included? They're included because people view them as short devotionals. You know, you do your Bible reading for the day, read a chapter of the Old Testament, a chapter of the New Testament. You can't read the Old Testament if it's not in the pocket Bible. But if you read a chapter of the New Testament and then read a Psalm, and it's kind of a, just a nice devotional thought. They're just kind of fluffy, marshmallow, uh, talk about God, you know, nice poetry. Uh, and I think that reading the Psalms shows you they're very different than that. Now, as you said, they stand as one pillar in this genre of wisdom literature, which, as we said, I think we'll talk a little bit more maybe about Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job. If you want to talk about Song of Solomon, Jack, I'll be happy for you to uh, to break that down for us and for our audience. Um, but, me. but <laughs> you know, when you think about wisdom literature of the Old Testament, one reason I think this is so helpful, um, one is that New Testament theology is built on the foundation of Old Testament theology. There's nothing uh, of virtue in the Old Testament that isn't assumed in the theology of Jesus. I mean, in the, in the theology of, of the church today. And so I think wisdom is such an undersold idea in the church today. So I'll open it up to you guys. When we think about wisdom literature, what's the difference between, say, the Psalms and the Proverbs versus the rote command of something like Leviticus? What's what's the difference in what we, we see there? Uh, I think um, we it's we, we doubt we, we almost write it off because we we want to just have a, a book chapter verse rule. This is the rule. Here's the demand. This is what you absolutely have to do. But when it comes to wisdom and what's and wisdom to me has always been what's best, you know, in any circumstance, it's not, it's not necessarily law. Like you, you know, like in the Proverbs when it says, don't go down her street, right? Does it mean that it's illegal in the eyes of God to walk down that street? Say there's a bread and you needed to get bread from down the street, whatever. Well, maybe not, but wisdom is concerned with what's best. And, um, Law is more concerned with this is just the absolute demand. But if if we're going to live out the law, we really can't do it without paying attention to the wisdom that's given us. 
Yeah, I would add to that that genre wise, and at this point came up recently. I don't know, it might have been one of the recent episodes, but sometimes we don't know what to do with different genres, and because it's not legal, you know, it's not law, it's not narrative. It, it's somebody's diary a lot of times. It's it's David's journal and, and the other psalmists, and it's it's that so personal. And we view the Bible almost like a textbook, almost like a legal code, as, as something to be studied very black and white, very uh, analytically, I guess, where this is not so much an analytical book. I mean, you, you can analyze it, but it it's very much a feel thing. It's it's heart and soul rather than just the brain. And so many times we come to the Bible with just our brains that starting with the heart and soul is is almost backwards for us. And I think that that takes getting the feel of it to really understand how to properly use it. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. And, you know, it's interesting to me as we view the law of Moses. So for instance, there's a very specific law for what to do if your ox gores another person, if it falls into a ditch on this day, if it falls into this situation on the Sabbath versus a normal day, it's all very laid out, you know, in a way that's easy to understand uh, to an extent. Then you have incidents like the one that Solomon faced where you have two prostitutes uh, oh, sorry. There's there's really loud thunder happening outside my window. If that's picking up, oh, yeah, you, you yeah, have a situation no, no. where you have two prostitutes, and one of them rolls over on her baby during the night inside the brothel and kills it. So she does, I guess, what any body would do. She looks at the prostitute over there with her baby and steals it away from her. And then they bring this to Solomon, and you know Solomon was flipping through the law of Moses, saying, "Now, what are you supposed to do when two prostitutes uh, come to you with this thing, and one of them kills?" You know. What what you see is Solomon had to rely on wisdom. And I think we undersell the fact that in a lot of our Christian walk, we're going to come across situations where we don't have a direct example in the Bible of what to do in this situation. We have to use the wisdom imparted to us from the nature of God through the scripture to respond to things. And again, the way you said, Daniel, the way that's best when it's not always super clear cut what that might be. And so that that's wisdom general, uh, wisdom literature in general as a whole. Now let's think a little bit more specifically about the book of Psalms. Um, Psalms is different than any other book in the Bible. Uh, it, by, by its very nature and genre, it's different. One thing that I want to say on the forefront, and I think this is foundational to our understanding of the Psalms, is that the Psalms are scripture. The Psalms are the inspired word of God. Um, I hear takes on the Psalms at times that are like, well, the we, we just see the humanity of, and the flaws of David born out in the Psalms, or we see the humanity of, of Asaph and the way he's talking about this. We just see how weak they are. I, I don't buy it. I, the Psalms are inspired by God, and I, I think they perfectly encapsulate the human condition, uh, just as all the rest of the scripture perfectly encapsulates the teaching of God, the nature of God. Well, to, you know, to that point, you're, you're, you're spot on. It is in, inspired, you, you, you know, Jesus, you'll, you'll even, you know, see the breakdown, the threefold breakdown of the old Testament scriptures, the, the law, the prophets and the writings. And, you know, the, the song, the wisdom literature would be included within the writings, but also in, um, in Matthew 22, Jesus said, David says, through the spirit, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. That's a quotation from Psalm 110. And he, so he's, he's literally saying, this is uh, 
spirit born. And, and, and I think we have a hard time with, there's something mysterious in that the Psalms are an expression of sometimes the emotions of man, the raw emotions of man. And yet they are spirit born in, in that God is showing, here's how your emotions should be, uh, you, you know, should be manifested in each of these various kinds of situations. The law, the, you know, the Psalms kind of teach us how to work through when, when you're grieving, when you're happy, when you're anxious, when you're depressed, when you're, you know, when you're angry, how do you work through it? So here's the real raw human stuff. And here's how the spirit would say, speak this way, act this way within it. So that's a, it's a great point. Yeah. And so as, you know, as we think about that and, and the fact that the Psalms are scripture, it helps kind of it's really loud out there uh it helps us to really kind of see and how to work through the nature of some of the things the psalms are saying so for instance some psalms read like a hit piece on god like god why have you done this why are you sleeping why won't you intercede have you forgotten about me they read like somebody saying man i have a hundred problems with god let me read them out and uh one thought that came to my mind after i, I was in a bible class about one of the psalms afterwards uh, I went up to the teacher and I was like, this, this kind of sounds like a hit piece on God. Who, who inspired something like this? That's just, you know, and, and the point is God inspired it. You know, God inspired this Psalm. Um, and, and so, you know, he's the one that is, uh, authenticating this saying, Hey, this is a real human emotion that people who follow me are going to experience and go through. Um, so Psalms are scripture. That's, that's one that way they're similar to the rest of the Bible. In another way, the Psalms are, I don't know how else to say this, the only inspired songbook. Um, now we've, uh, we've all been in congregations that you have the songbook in front of you. Some have PowerPoint. And so they've switched to where you kind of just see the, the songs up ahead of you. And, uh, whenever things go wrong, everybody quickly grabs the songbook. Like, I don't know what to do with this thing anymore. Where, do, where do I go mm-hmm. to? Um, but you know, when we think of the Psalms as God's inspired songbook, I think it's helpful to remember for a second that, uh, all the other song books are not inspired. Uh, I've heard the classic joke when, when the person says, well, we should be leading every verse of the, every song we sing. God wouldn't have put them all in there if he didn't want us to sing them. Um, you know, these, these are songs written by men. And so, you know, what what is the difference there? How important is it that we have a, a divine inspired song book versus these uninspired song books? What's, what are some of the pitfalls we, we've gotten into with, with the uninspired song books? I think when you just look at the content as we were just talking about and the range of emotion and the words and the direction of them, they're so Godward, they're so not inwardly focused. It, it's very much a connection with God and in with God's people, the songs of ascent, like, hey, we're all going up to worship him and and we as a people, he's conquering our enemies. And, and it it teaches us how to think like because the songs we sing disciple us. Right. And that's one of the big problems today. And, and there's all this controversy about, uh, which we don't have this as much in the churches of Christ, but in the denominational world of like, what is it? Uh, Bethel and Hill song and all these that the words they're putting in there are very weak. And you listen to some of the, the songs we were just joking before we came on air of some of the songs we sing. And it's like, what does that have to do with, with being a Christian? What does that have to do with praising God or, or really the Bible in general? This is almost like a feel good song or a patriotic song or a, you know, be a good person kind of song. And the, the things that we sing really do teach us how to think. And so that we have one that is 150 inspired songs that 
give us kind of the template for what it looks like to praise God, that that's invaluable. We're not left so, on our own there. So, Jack, are you claiming that being discipled by Little Brown Church in the Veil may not be super helpful to our Christian walk? I mean, that's I can't tell you how many times that in the depths of my sorrow, Little Brown Church in the Veil has really lifted me up. Uh, one just oh, playing yeah. in the back of your head, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. There, there are some very weak songs. Oh, there's there's some weak ones. I I when I grew up, I remember you know wondering you know uh, here I raised my Ebenezer. I just always I was picturing Scrooge in my mind. <laughs> so so but your but to to Jack's point and you know this idea of content and how we've we've kind of flipped this. It's interesting. We are very quick to quote Ephesians five nineteen singing to one another psalms hymns and spiritual songs what's the first category given there and which is granted emphasis psalms how many actual psalms do we sing i mean i would argue that it's i i, I mean it's it's a it's super insignificant I, I, I can't put a number on it but it's very insignificant relative to what we would call spiritual songs and even the songs we call spiritual songs when I think that we're so accustomed to coming in, you know, the guy goes up, we just sing the words and, and maybe we're not even really thinking through what we're saying. And, um, uh, recent, you know, in recent years, you know, the longer I, the older I get and the more I'm actually paying attention, I find myself actually disagreeing with statements, you know, content wise, it's not just as Jack is pointing out that they're weak and they are, but a lot of the songs we've come up with are, are, our airiness, or there are at least statements that I just wouldn't agree with. You know, a song that we sing really, really popular. It, one of the lines in it is though I'm often tempted to leave you. And we, we just sang this uh, the other day and this is sung all over the place. And as I started to sing it and then I thought, wait a minute, I'm often tempted to leave. No, I'm not like, am I tempted to sin? And, and yes. Am I tempted to walk away from the faith? No. So, so we're even seeing singing things that we may not, that are not even reflective of, of the heart. Yeah. Uh, an interesting thought experiment as we talk about, you know, the, the place of Psalms and how often we sing them again, what's our desire. We want to be back that to that first century church, to that first week church, you know, the, the Pentecost church, the one that, you know, that was established on that day and, and went out from there. You know, these people were obviously going to sing, as we say, God commanded people to sing. Do you think that first week they looked at each other and said, man, guys, we ought to be singing and worship to God. We got to start writing some songs. We don't have any songs to sing. I, I just don't know what we're going to sing. Do, do you think that's what they did? Or do you think they said, oh, wait, we've got, 150 songs from God. And in fact, Jesus has already told us that the writings of the Old Testament and the Psalms included are actually about him. Well, maybe we can sing some of these songs too. I think that's exactly what they did. They they would have had the Psalms and that would have been integrated into their worship. Absolutely. Well, as so, they, yeah, I mean, you just go through Psalm two and, and about, you know, the uh, all the king submitting to him. You go to Psalm 22 about everything that was happening at the crucifixion is just so literally prophesied there almost seems unintentionally, but obviously we know with God, it was intended. It was inspired that way. Psalm 110, the most quoted Psalm in the whole new Testament that as they sang through that, it'd be like, yeah, this is this. We're supposed to, th these are ours. These belong to us as Jesus's people because they're about him and they, they point us to him and continuing on with that. And I want to make a brief point, uh, because uh, our friend Joel, uh, Titus, a uh, friend of Titus and I, uh, would be on our case if we missed the point that 
Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is actually a title derived from the Septuagint uh, of the Psalms. Like that's what it calls the Psalms or within the Psalms, it'll label the headings as Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So there's a very good chance that Paul was just referring to the 150, that that's what he meant by Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, which just takes it to another level of like, this is what we're supposed to sing. This is what they sang. This is what they did. Yeah. There's a practical hang up. I mean, because I because look, I'm not musically inclined at all. And I and maybe most aren't. And this is going to actually demand work to be able to to do this, because, you, you know, if I look at a psalm, there's no musical notes associated with it. You know, how do I how do I sing this? You know, I can read it, but how do I sing it? So I think that part of the issue is, one, we've not taught on it. We've not educated that this is, hey, we need to put greater emphasis here. These are actually inspired. We need to do this. But there's the practical hang up of most people just even if even if they get it, they're like, what do we do with these? Daniel, so, you, you mean you don't know, do not destroy? I was looking in the 50s of the Psalms. It says, according to do not destroy on a couple. I was like, oh, yeah, do not destroy. I think the, I heard the mix. The mik, mikvah or mikta or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I, it reminds me one time I was at a gospel meeting and they had a very old song book. And this dude uh, opened to a song and at the bottom it said, sung in the style of the, you know, the Witherberry sisters at the 1966 <laughs> camp meeting. I said, oh, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Now I know how it goes. I'm with um, you now. I <laughs> love the so, Witherberry sisters. Love Yeah, them. exactly. And so you, you make a good point. You know, how do we get into singing the Psalms? Uh one thing I will say is that for the for the majority of church history, as we would call it, if we were looking back to, um, you know, like, for instance, Martin Luther and his churches, uh, they sung the Psalms. And, and a lot of times, uh, obviously, Luther wrote, uh, you know, a, a famous song based off of one of the Psalms. But, you know, a lot of times in these older churches, they just did them as chants. And so they had maybe two or three chant styles and they had them set so that basically any psalm uh, could be sung to this. I, in a Bible class, one time I did them did this and I showed the class how, for instance, you might go, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. If you'll forgive my singing, but you kind of just sing this line and then go up and then you sing the line and go down. It's yeah. very simple, yeah. but it has the pro to it. Hey, if everybody in the church can learn this very simple chant, then suddenly they can incorporate the Psalms into every service. And they're not going, I just don't know the tune to this one. And so you make a good point about, you know, that being an issue, but, but one issue in general in the churches that I think we've all seen is that people, there's some people that just don't sing. They, they don't sing. They don't feel compelled to sing, obviously an issue there with the fruit of the spirit. So as we think about this, why, why are songs important? You know, why did God make us creatures that sing? Why do we tend to enjoy music as people? What What do you guys think the Bible bears out as far as that God is a musical God who intended us to sing? What are some examples that we see? First thing that comes to mind for me is, is for one, God, God invented music. God doesn't hate music, right? Um, he He's the inventor of musical notes. And there is something to the aesthetic that speaks to the soul in a way that just mere words can't. When David was, uh, or when Saul was, you know, um, being possessed by these evil spirits and was, you know, was insane in his mind, the only thing that could kind of bring him back to this state of, of, uh, of being at peace 
was David coming and um, playing some kind of music for him? And there's something within, there is some power that speaks to the soul there. And, I, and I've even, you probably even witnessed this with um, uh, elderly persons who have Alzheimer's or dementia or whatever. They're completely locked up inside themselves. And then you start singing to them, it is well with my soul. There, there I think about when I was mi- doing mission work in the Caribbean, this one lady, that was her favorite song. And I would just go and sit next to her and I could, I would sing this song and all of a sudden her eyes would light up a little bit and she actually would sing it with me. What, what is, there's a deep, is something very deep uh, within this. And I think that that's, I, that's one of the reasons why this is so important. The other thing is you, you look at this from a scientific perspective and, and you get into the stuff about like the frequencies and the Hertz and like the earth itself has this vibration and the the naturalists the scientists would look at that and and explain it one way but as god's people we go the other direction with and say he built everything like it is a musical universe it it has a tune to it almost and and our bodies this vibration and everything that goes into like the the deep underpinnings of music and song and all that and that our voices do these things that they make these notes that that we were built to do this way and as you know daniel was singing with older people and and the way it triggers the brain in that way, but also with little kids, you sing your baby to sleep or, or whatever it may be, or you're just happy and you're whistling a tune or uh, the, it is something deep in the subconscious that resonates and connects to music and words set to music and, and tunes. And just, it, it, it flows out of us in our natural state. I mean, there are laments, there are songs of joy. There's, and, and you just look at all this as it wasn't an accident. It's, it was created this way by a creative creator. And so many times we focus on the visual of a sunset or the ocean or whatever. And that's really great in itself. Mm-hmm. But the audio creation he gave us lends towards this as well. And it's a really neat feature. One super quick point you're, that you're speaking to that just reminded me of Psalm 96. You know, if you think, you think about the earth having a song, there's, you know, the sound of the birds and there, there is something uh, melodic about it. And, um, you know, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it, let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Um, you know, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. You know, there's there's this idea of the entirety of creation worshiping the living God. And this is going to be some, this is going to be a part of our eternity is doing these very things. And song is going to be a part of heaven. And, um, you know, and you see that in Revelation. And, um so it 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 really is profoundly deep going all the way back to creation. And I think Psalm 96 is is striking on your point. You're exactly right. It's it's just when you imagine this utilitarian idea of evolution, which is, hey, the most uh profitable, the most uh, advantageous thing happened in the world, and that's why all of these things came to pass. Uh music feels very superfluous in some ways. It feels fanciful that you know, why would things be this way if it's all just about, you know, propagating survival of the fittest? Uh, you know, why why this beauty? Why does it exist? Um, and, and so it, it's an amazing proof, I think, to the goodness of God that that it exists, that, that we have a musical world. I, I think back to, you know, Israel as they, they are escaping Egypt and coming across the Red Sea. When they get to the other side, what's the first thing they do? 
they sing, you know, they, you know, some, someone might say, well, that's not very good battle strategy. You've just escaped the foe. Maybe they have reinforcements that are trying to search. No, they sing, they, they take a time to, to worship and sing God. Um, and we see that throughout the scriptures, that it's just a natural outflowing. It's how we're made. It's in our nature to sing. And of course, that's why, you know, as, as Paul says, as we, we mentioned last week, um, you know, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. And the natural outpouring of that is you're going to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's yeah. going to flow out of you. That's a proof, if you will, uh, right. of the spirit's presence in your life. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at, we sing just culturally, and this is our culture, but every culture is is the exact same way. I mean, this is something that all humans have. Happy birthday, jingle bells, love songs, patriotic songs. Uh, I mean, there, there's songs for every occasion. Anything that happens, we have funeral songs, you know, songs of mourning. We have a song for New Year's. I've never really understood what all Lang Syne is about. I mean, I'm sure there's something to it I haven't looked into, but we sing. It's just what we as people do, and and it's what connects us. It's what grounds us in reality and shared experiences, and 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 this just kind of all coming together. I mean, you win the Super Bowl, you sing "We Are the Champions," and I mean, there there are those songs that kind of stick, and that's what they are. And when you when you take the Psalms and some of the Old Testament songs and things like that, and how they started incorporating these with their Passovers, their Pentecost, their festivals. And okay, at this time, we're going to sing this particular one, and we're going to put you know this with that. And we do the same thing. We've got our Lord's Supper songs and our invitation songs and our, you know, maybe kind of the peppier first song ones, if you're trying to like get everybody up and, and ready to, to sing, that, yeah. that we sing in different times, the ones that somebody just got baptized, which... Don't sing it. Oh, happy day. If somebody just got baptized, oh, I know that's a traditional, but man, it sounds like a funeral song. Oh, happy day. So it's the but, least happy song that we sing. It's, it's there's irony just <laughs> dripping out of it. Of a, yeah, I, I, remember the old uh, uh, cartoon Droopy Dog? I'm so happy. Yeah, you know, oh, like, that's what it, it sounds like. But again, what, my point is, we just we have times in which we know what to do and it's to sing. It's It's just what we do. Well, it's, it, you know, as I was thinking about this, Jack, as it relates to you, you're writing a book on creating Christian culture. And one of our shared cultures in the church, I mean, this is not a, a decision we've made, is the songs that we sing. Like there's a shared church culture out of that. The question being, if we're going to build a church culture, what are the effects of building it on, say, Little Brown Church in the Vale <laughs> versus building that church culture on the Psalms. I mean, do you think there's going to be a difference in the way that church culture looks if God's songs are, are our basis for how we view him? I think yeah. that's going to make a huge difference. So you guys have anything else you want to add about that before we move on? Well, one one quick thing, just to that point, it it seems to me that the songs that we sing and that we choose to sing and that we're fine, that we're totally fine with singing is symptomatic of, um, of a very weak theology. Because if Little Brown Church in the Veil is something that we would get up and have zero problem singing, there's something like of all the songs we could sing, we're gathered together around the throne. We're, we're you know, we're around the Lord's table. We're going to be sharing in communion meal with Jesus and Little Brown Church in the Veil. Like that's, that says something to, are we getting this or are we missing something here? And one of the things that I've instructed, um, uh, because I, I think the preacher should be integrally involved with the song leaders saying, here's what I'm talking about. Let's try to get a, a, a whole worship around this idea, get everybody thinking along the same thing. And I've instructed our um, our song leaders 
let's sing more songs that are directly praising God because I'm coming to praise him. And I feel like most of what we're doing is just speaking words that honestly I can't relate to. And sometimes I just won't sing them. You're right. Daniel, I, I just can't believe that you would say you're not musically inclined. You have such a beautiful voice, man. So just I'm, I'm just, just <laughs> soaking I, it in here. Well, thank you for thank you for saying that. I I uh I I'm putting on my my uh my your, fake voice. Your singer voice, your radio yes, voice. Yes. That's right. That's not right. my real voice. So I just want to run through a few facts about the Psalms because I think these are very interesting and that, that most people don't think about this. We know the Psalms uh, are, it's a long collection. So you see 150, go, whoa, that's a lot of chapters. Uh, you know, well, Psalms is actually the third largest book in the Bible. Um, it's behind Jeremiah and Genesis in word count um, and actual length of the book, but it is the third largest book in the Bible, one of the biggest. Uh, obviously, it has the most chapters of any book in the Bible, but I say chapters with, with you know, that uh, kind of implication there because Psalms isn't split into chapters. It's split into songs, just like we don't open our psalm book and say, turn your psalm book to chapter 222. We'll sing chapter two. No, we, we say song 222. The the psalms are the same way. There, there's 150 songs. Um, psalms has the most contributors of any book in the Bible that we know about. I mean, who's who's the obvious? When I say who wrote psalms, what's the first answer I'm going to get? David. David. David wrote the psalms. Well, he wrote most of the psalms that we that are attributed, but we also have Solomon. Uh, psalm 90 is a psalm of Moses, probably the oldest psalm. Uh, you have Asaph who writes several psalms, the sons of Korah. So lots of contributors to the psalms. Uh, psalms has the longest and the shortest chapters of the Bible, uh, verse-wise. Um, but this is the big one. Psalms is the most quoted book of the Old Testament that's quoted in the New Testament. The majority of New Testament quotations come from the book of Psalms. Now, again, for a New Testament-centered church, we, we call ourselves New Testament Christians, how could we not drink in the Psalms if the Psalms are the most quoted book in the New Testament? I mean, that just kind of floors me when, when you think about it. And I think about how little uh, of, of the Psalms I really drank in in my younger days is that, wow, really? It's the most quoted book in the New Testament? And again, we, we make these assumptions and go, well, if we if we want to be serious about doctrine, you know, the, the law of Moses has all these things written out. And so that's really where the doctrinal heart of the Old Testament is. The Psalms, they're just songs that go into the book of Romans. Where is Paul quoting from when he's making these vast sweeping theological statements? Where's he quoting from? Yeah. Well, from the Psalms. Same yeah. with he, same with he, same with Hebrews. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Psalm 110. And yeah, he just builds his case. Psalm, Psalm, Psalm. You're that's that's an amazing point. New Testament centeredness is going to be Psalms centered. That's exactly right. That's exactly. And and so, you know, the other interesting thing about the Psalms, I guess we we don't really have time to get in the weeds here, but the Psalm Psalms are actually split up into five books. And so as you go through the Psalms, you'll see, you know, book one, uh, it'll lead into book two. Th those divisions, uh, there's a lot of the Psalms we could talk about. The, the, the chapter headings on the Psalms uh, are also seemingly uninspired. They were added later, but they are very, very old. Um, and so there is a, a historical credence that's lent to them. Uh, I think the same with the books we could, we could look at, but I will say the books have a more more natural division because almost all the books of the Psalms end with kind of this uh, swelling convocation and, and um, 
praise of God, uh, you know, and really exalting him right before the book ends. And the last book again ends with just this massive praise of God, almost heavenly. You're ascending into the heavenly throne room level of praise. And so Psalms is, is a very uh, distinctive book for that reason. But Jack, you know, you, you alluded to this earlier. When we look at the Psalms, we, we talked about genres of the Bible, but there's genres within the Psalms. So, so get us into a few of just what are some of the flavors of the Psalms that we'll come across? Yeah, uh, let's save the imprecatories to the end. I think you've got later on the outline because that's the the real spicy one. But you've just got what's that? Did that for a reason. Did that for a reason. So Mm -hmm. uh, good, good choice there. Uh, Hymns, uh, uh, just the praise and that that flowing out of us, you know, great is the God. uh, his loving kindness is everlasting, uh, things like that. The the thanksgiving that we give towards him of, well, when you see when, when Israel crosses the Red Sea, not that this is in the book of the Psalms, but where Israel just turns and thanks. And it's a really funny song of like, yeah, God just, you know, killed those guys. And how great was that kind of thing? And you're like, well, are they allowed to sing this? But it, it's thankfulness for what he's done. And you see a lot of that in the Psalms as well of God delivered me from my enemies and he, you know, crushed them and, and he took care of them and thankful. I'm thankful for that, but we're thankful for his providence. We're thankful for uh, just the general things that he's done for us every day. And I, that's one of the things that the Psalms regularly do, even the ones where he's, you know, a lot of times David, but whoever the psalmist is, is going, God, where are you? God, you've abandoned me. God, I'm, it, it's all hopeless. Almost always comes back to it at the end of the psalm. You know what? You've always been there for me. You've been there every time. And I'm thankful for that. So I can count on that. And man, that teaches us how to think through life's trials is with thankfulness, with gratitude for everything that we've got to this point. Uh, and so the the uh, praise and thanks are two different things. I think that's an important thing because when we pray, we we learn this from the Psalms as well. Sometimes when we pray, when we well, we thank you, God, for this. We we thank you that for that. Yes, but praise Him for His attributes, for His characteristics. Just say good things about Him and and that that we want to honor about Him that don't have to do with what He's done for us, but just with who He is. He's great as He is. And then we can talk about, okay, and, and you did this because you're great. You did this for me, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, building on that, in addition to these various kinds of genres that are there, there is the thing I've always loved about the Psalms is there's, there is, if you're feeling a certain way, there's a Psalm where you can go where that guy was in a situation. You know, the, the particulars of the situation were different, obviously. But he's feeling the same way as you. And I heard it put one time that the Psalms teach us how to think and how to feel, it, both, both which are two different things. This is your this is your mind and your belly. And there is an actual um, God born, a God, you know, uh, um, a glorifying way of not only thinking, but also how should I be feeling about this? And you see the, you know, the whole gamut of emotions are available. Yeah. Anger, sadness, joy, uh, you know, elation, depression even. And, you know, I have written in the beginning of my Psalms, um, the, the beginning of uh, the section on Psalms in, in my Bible, I just have written out just a list of when, you know, when angry, when afraid, when, you know, when, when depressed, when um, think, go to this Psalm. And, all of these are there, joy and peace. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got here on the outline, Psalm 66 and Psalm 103. 
for those kinds of emotions, sadness and despair, Psalm 22 and 88. I would even say that um, one, for me, one of the most poignant, helpful Psalms in all the world when I'm feeling down is Psalm 42. Um, when feeling depressed, you know, why are you downcast within me? Oh, my soul. Why are you, why are you despair? Hope in God. And, and um, so they, they teach us, you know, these guys felt the same way they start out. You see the realness of the raw emotions of how they're feeling. And oftentimes the Psalm just builds to this amazing, it's almost like a realization within the prayer to God, where they're speaking to him by the end of the Psalm, they've answered some of what they're, you know, problems were from the beginning, even if they're, if there's a cliffhanger of, I don't know exactly how this is going to turn out, but there's something amazing that teaches us how to work through, how to pray, how to talk to God and, um, how to, uh, feel within these things. So just real quick, when I'm afraid Psalm 27, when I'm feeling weary and just burdened and broken down Psalm 63, if I'm angry, um, uh, which I never get angry about anything. No, I'm, I'm oh, kidding. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Psalm, Psalm 37, you know, how, how to deal with that. It, it teaches us, give it over to the Lord, hand, hand it to him. And you can actually take it and know he's going to do something with it. Uh, when, when depressed or, you know, I think we, we throw that term around, but just when feeling downcast, Psalm 42 and, you know, the list can go on, but it's amazing to me how many of these emotions, they're all there. And God is saying, it's okay to feel this way. This is, if, this is a part of life. If the here's Psalms how you just, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, here's say, how you honor me. Yeah. If the Psalms disperse with anything, I think there's this thought that Christians have that, well, if I had true faith, I would just be happy all the time. If I really believed in God, like I was supposed to, I would never be sad. The Psalms totally throw that out the window. They say there's a righteous, holy, uh, dignified way to grieve and and to be angry and and to have righteous zeal um all these things are in the psalms you know just quickly as we go down daniel you were talking about the lyric you know oft i'm tempted to leave him that's mm-hmm. not the picture we see in the psalms psalms are a picture of confidence psalms say yeah. hey god's got my back i'm with him i'm never gonna leave him because where else can i go you know, he, he will, he will do right by me. Um, you have historical Psalms, which again, singing to remember, right? We, we say, what has God done in the past? Well, let's sing about it. Let's sing about all the things he did with Israel, even getting into the nuts and bolts of going, Hey, you know, he, we defeated Og and Bashan, the Kings of, you know, as we went into the promised land because his steadfast love endures forever. One reason I think that we, we shy away from the Psalms is they kind of hold our feet to the fire on. You have to know your Bible to sing the Psalms in spirit and in truth. You have to know about what God did and what all this stuff means, because I mean, it had real implication. Um, you have wisdom Psalms that talk about, you know, the wisdom of God, something that's open more in the new Testament to say, you know, there's, there's something beyond just smart. It's like, Hey, I'm wise. I'm a smart person. There's some wisdom of God. That's this, um, this quantity that we can only grasp through the spirit, through his word that the Psalms speak to. You have royal Psalms, which talk about the king and, and all those are very easily transferred onto Jesus in the New Testament sense. But the last two, I think are the big ones and we've already hit on them in, in some capacity. As you guys think about laments, um, this is something that we have a hard time, I think in the church today, implementing. So, I mean, you know, let, let's say we threw this out and maybe we'll talk about it in just a minute as we wrap up. But the idea of singing Psalms today in the church, how many people are comfortable if I get up there and start the song and say, okay, we're going to sing Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, to mm-hmm. sing that as a group in a worship service, that's, 
And now again, as, as Daniel stated, by the time you get to the end of that psalm, you're going to see it's taking you on a journey. But but as Jack mentioned earlier, we, we look at this and go, am I allowed to sing this? Am I allowed to sing this in faith and see it? So so why do you guys think laments are so difficult for us? Cultural. I, I Because I don't think it's that way everywhere. I, and, and like other places I've lived, other places I've traveled, the idea of a lament is very real. Like they acknowledge this is a part of life. You're just going to be in the dumps sometimes. And, and when you speak to God, it's, it's a, you're, you're actually being dishonest. If you go before God and say, Oh, I'm so happy today. I'm happy. If you're feeling like garbage, you shouldn't be singing that song. Right. But I, but I think that there's this tendency within this culture to um, have a, a stiff upper lip. And, you know, if somebody's uh, asks you, how you're, how are you doing? Doing good, doing good. And that's the only answer we're ever going to give. What if somebody said, how are you doing? And you just said, oh, absolute trash. Uh, today, I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm feeling real weak. Um, the Lord seems far. Um, I'm not, a lot of things aren't going my way. You start saying that kind of stuff. People are like, uh, shouldn't have asked. I, I wish I hadn't. And, and there's, there's a problem there culturally that we have to overcome and realize, look, for the for all of us, life's not easy. There, in fact, I'd say, if you look at the Psalms, would you say that that it's fair to say that the majority of them are the psalmist in kind of a bad situation? I, I want to say that <laughs> over one third of them are laments. The majority of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Okay, so that that just speaks to this is we're in a fallen, cursed world. Let's be real about it, and how can we honor God within it? But. Uh, I, I don't know, Jack, do you want to add something to that or? I No, I think you said it well about that. We just don't, I think we look at sadness as individualized and then joy we can share. And so when you're in that moment, eh, that, that's kind of for you. But as far as like a hundred people in a room together singing, God, where are you? God, you know, I, are you, are you keeping your promises? Are we sure here? Like what, what's going on? Uh, that, that feels weird. That feels I don't know. Again, just something of like we have to internalize and, and hang on to it ourselves. But as we said at the start, the Psalms disciple us. They they teach us how to think. They teach us how to see the world. As you said a minute ago, how to think and how to feel. And so, you know, on any given Sunday, a good amount of the people in the building are going to have stresses over their head like crazy, whether it's family situation, job situation, just a health situation, whatever it is that is weighing on them heavily. And yet we've all got to come together, put on the brave face. I'm saying I'm happy today. As you just said, it's really important to them to see, you know what? We're going to have some songs in here that as, as we sing through the Psalms, this one's for you, this one, and we're going to sing it with you. You know, this is a, a corporate way of rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Yeah. Real quick. One thing that I want to say to that and get you guys' take on this Maybe there's a fund. Maybe we have a fundamental misunderstanding of 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 how to work through a lament and the importance of acknowledging it and bringing it out. You know, you think you think one of the thing. You know, for all the problems, for all the issues that the therapy world has against it, one of the things that it does understand and that I think has biblical precedent is the importance of verbalizing and speaking out loud the issues that are there. If you, uh, you know. Um, sweep them under the rug. And, um, you know, I, I remember growing up hearing fake it till you make it right. And that's going to, that's going to crush it. That's going to put it away. That's going to, and I, I heard somebody say, you know, when we come to church 
Uh, people are going through all these hard times and everything. We just need to make it a very encouraging time. So all of our songs need to be upbeat and all this. And actually that's being dishonest and it puts away the issues that are there and it doesn't allow us to work through them. We there There is a time and a place and it's healthy actually to, to speak to the grief that's there, right? It's actually unfitting. We had um, uh, several months ago, one of our members had a heart um, uh, it was, it was an episode. It, it, we thought it was a stroke or a um, heart attack, but, um, I can't remember what it was. It was, it was something related. Um, and we just, the elders and I just got together and we just said, I think what we need to do today is, is sing, um, a few particular songs and let's gather around and let's pray. The whole mood in the church was somber. And this had happened just in front of everybody. And it was just, it's like, if I go on with my lesson and we go on saying, I'm happy today, something about this is off. Yeah. We, right. We've, we've, we've got to be honest. Yes. We, and so I, I've, as I've talked about this before in singing laments and in introducing some of this, I've, I've heard the thought, well, these songs don't make like they're sad songs or they're somber. They, they don't make me feel good. So I'm, I'm going to drop one spicy drop of a hot take right here. If we were going to sing through the Psalms and we said, I don't want to sing the laments because they make me sad. Would we not be making a worship choice based on our preferred emotions and what we want, the feelings that we want to experience all through acapella music, but we making a decision based on what we want to hear and how it makes us feel. We, We preach against that a lot. And so it's an interesting thought experiment to think how, how am I supposed to, to feel about this? One thing that gives me you know, peace throughout the laments. I, I was just looking, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 73. So at the end of Psalm 72, which is the end of book two of the Psalms, it has this statement, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse are ended. It's kind of this great, like, you know, man, David, he's poured his heart out. You know, we've seen all these Psalms of David and his book three comes out. It almost feels like Asaph kind of like slowly limps out onto the stage and says in verse one, truly God is good to Israel, to those who appear in heart. Like, yeah, we all know God's good. Like, do I have to get up and explain God's good? But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. You know, I, I'm just going to give you kind of make it real for you guys. I know God's good, but he wasn't good for me for a little while. I, I almost stumbled because I looked around and I saw that the wicked prosper. Like, they, why, why do bad people do well. I mean, and this is a question we all ask, and Asaph goes down through it and works through these understandings. But verse 16, he says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Man, what a lesson. How often do you go into a church service and go, wait, now I get it. Now I understand the way this all works out. Now I understand why I'm the blessed one and they're the one that's sitting on the precipice. And and it's just things like that, that again, working through emotions that go, I know God's good. Logically, in, intellectually, I know God's good, but he didn't seem that way to me for a little while. But but here's how I came to work through that. I think that's just so invaluable. And I, I love that so much, but I know we're going to run out of time. I, I want to hit on going from laments to imprecatory psalms. Guys, what are these imprecatory psalms? Because they have caused historically a big stir in the church. What are we talking about when we mention an imprecatory psalm? That's uh, God go get the bad guys kind of psalms, right? Uh, Shatter their teeth, crush their children, like really hardcore, you know, kind of the the kind of words we don't say in church. And when we talked about earlier being discipled by the music we hear, people have talked about a lot of the modern worship songs are like the 
Jesus is my boyfriend kind of thing, you know, very like uh, very close to love songs. Mm-hmm. When you go to the imprecatory Psalms, it, it's not that it is very much the opposite direction of there are evil people in the world. And I'm praying that God would do something about them. I am praying for his justice, his wrath, his uh, just his might to strike them down. And I, I guess the debate around it is, uh, as we've talked about on episodes about New Testament things and well, Paul was inspired. He's allowed to be sarcastic. Jesus was Jesus. He's allowed to to have strong takes about the Pharisees or Elijah was Elijah. And you're not Elijah, Paul or Jesus. So you don't get to speak that way. Well, we're not David. So can we pray for God to stop or shut down or destroy the abortionists or the whatever, you know, evil that we see going on in the world? Man, rain out that pride parade, Lord, or, or do more than that. But really, like, stop these people is it okay for Christians to still pray that way? Cause I know some people are very uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Yep. Great question. Yeah. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> a very good one. Daniel's ready to jump in. <laughs> no, I, I well, I let mean, me tee you up with a different question. Okay. About uh, you have on the enemy, uh, the outline here, uh, Titus about God's enemies. Do Christians have enemies? Is it okay to have enemies? And the people go, well, you're supposed to love your enemies and loving your enemies doesn't sound like singing this thing about them. But I think we confuse whose enemies are whose here. And so is it okay to have enemies and pray that they be stopped? Well, yes. And that's that's actually where I was going to go with your question initially was there has to just be that acknowledgement. It's all through the New Testament. It's all through the Bible. We have enemies. Enemies. They're, they're all, I, I almost said we have enemas. Completely different uh, thing. We have enemies. <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys. I, I, it was one of those things like, uh, you remember, have you ever been preaching and, or like speaking in front of it and you like switch your words up? Mm-hmm. One time I, um, I, I was saying Pharaoh's heart so many times <laughs> that I, <laughs> I, know I, I said, the I Lord know. hardened Pharaoh's fart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I saw where that one was. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> when I, when I said it, it was over. I mean, I ha- I could not bring myself back, so that's going to happen. We're humans. We're, we're <laughs> you said Harrow's <laughs> fart, and then you were silent. You said if anyone needs to come forward and respond to Lord's opinion, <laughs> and it'll be me. I'll be sitting right here on the front. But um, there has to be an acknowledgement of the enemies, and and also here's the thing: we sometimes I think misunderstand. I, I think, and you guys can push against this a little bit, but if I'm reading Romans twelve properly the love of our enemies we would hope so i hold in mind always two desires for my enemies chief desire is what the chief desire of god would be which is save them is isn't this god's we're all his enemies to a degree until we come into his presence it says this earlier in romans it says while we were his enemies right um he he gave his son for us uh, in romans 5 so there's a sense in which everybody's an enemy. First desire is save them. But if they're not going to be saved, and if you know this in your perfect sovereignty, and they're going to continue to wreak havoc, destroy them. And so there's the, there's this simultaneous desire there. And my love of enemies, which I'm commanded to do, meets both of those things. Hopefully this is going to win them. Hopefully they're going to say, wow, what's something different about this guy? But in Romans 12, when he says, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on their head. That's not saying this is going to be, that's actually saying this is going to be worse for them 
in yeah, in the yeah. judgment because they witnessed, they saw the love, and and now destruction is here. So there's there's a simultaneous um, reality there, and we want to pretend that the secondary one doesn't. But if we sentimentalize the Christian faith so much that um, we would write off an imprecation, then what we're what we're doing is ultimately we're saying we've got a problem with the judgment. We're saying we've got a problem with saying, Lord, come quickly, because if he does come, that's immediate judgment for the majority of the globe. Yeah. And mm-hmm. right. Yes, so exactly. <clears throat> so. Exactly. It's, you know, as, as we think about this, I think you were right to quote Romans, you know, leave wrath to God. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. What we sometimes read that as is, OK, you don't have any negative feelings towards anybody. Leave it to God. But God's also not going to have any negative feelings towards them because he's such a forgiving, good God. There's no wrath. There's no vengeance. That's the opposite of what it says. It says God will have the wrath. He will have the vengeance. Um, And I think but I think within there is the key to this. And it's even what David does in his imprecatory Psalms. He leaves it to God. It's not God. I want you to crush these people. And I'm telling you what, my hammer is ready to crush them. Just say the word and I'm going to do it. He doesn't say, God, I know you've given me license to do this. And I want to go slaughter people just because I don't like them. It's always as for me, I'm leaving it to you. And, and, and what you said is exactly right. Um, we we do this in a in a modern sense when we think about the little old lady that lives down the street or this really nice person we know. And we think, man, if they go to hell on the day of judgment, I, I, just, I wish I could just come before God and say, God, if you just got to know them, if you had eaten her apple pie, uh, you know, if you just understood how nice a person this is. We have to be 100% convinced as Christians without a shadow of a doubt that God gets it right 100% of the time. He never gets it wrong. If you read the Old Testament and you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, or you look at Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and say, man, God was just really harsh there. You, you, you're un, you're revealing a weakness in yourself that you don't think that God gets it right every time. And, yeah. and we have to be able to say when he does it on, on the day of judgment afterwards, as, as we're all in heaven together, we're not all going to be standing on the rim of hell looking down and shedding tears and going, man, I just wish, oh, I just hope we're going to be saying, man, God did it exactly right. He's okay. done it right. And praise be the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Um, and I think the imprecatory Psalms, again, th- there's there's a place for this where you can imagine the the um, abuse of these things to any point, you know, where you're going to abuse them, you're going to fall into these emotions. But I think if you stick with the Psalms themselves, you're going to see it's God that does it. It's always God that does it. Um, and, and if we leave it to him and we say, God, you know, crush the teeth of the wicked, destroy the wicked where they stand, you know, work righteousness and justice. Because again, we, we always think of evil people as, well, if they're punished, you know, well, that's sad for them. What about justice for the people that they're hurting? You know, do we not worry about those people? The fact that they're hurting innocent people as well? I mean, again, there's two sides to everything. And so I think this all helps us work through the ethics of it. There's a perfect example of this is when bin Laden was killed in 2011. I think it was 2011. Uh, and on Facebook, like debate broke out among Christians I was friends with of, is this a good thing? Or should we celebrate this? Or, you know what, as Christians, I don't think that's okay. And, you know, so many people bring it up. I don't think Jesus would. Well, Jesus sang the imprecatory psalm, so he would. And somebody who is that evil, who is committed to terror, to Daniel's point of this is not a repentant person. He has had his time to repent and he is not. And he's perpetuating these things. It is a good thing. I mean, that's what we get from the Psalms is it's okay to be like, man, I'm glad they got that guy. I'm glad he has been taken out because as you're saying, he can't hurt anybody else. 
That is a good thing. That is something to praise God for, that he is a just God and that we need to be okay with that. But what makes people really uncomfortable about this is there's a level of certainty. And it is kind of weird to read David sometimes being like, I'm the good guy. They're the bad guys, God. Why are you letting me, you know, be beaten down and they're thriving because I'm a good guy. I've been faithful. I've been, and we don't like that level of certainty. We don't right. like, we, we really like going, well, we're, I, I like to think I'm in the right. No, there are times and places and ways in which you can say, I am in the right because I'm right. standing with God. And I mean, like bin Laden's the perfect example. You can't make the case that, well, maybe he's right. And maybe I'm not like, there's, there's nothing there. And it's okay in those cases to be like, take care of that one, God. Well, we've, we've made a level playing field for all sin, for all kinds of, for every Christian's going to sin, right? But there's a big difference between a, a blood-bought confessional Christian who's walking in the light and still stumbles on occasion and somebody who's work, who's actively working against God. There's a huge difference between them. And we can't sit here with this ridiculous, you know, uh, notion that, well, all sin in the eyes of God is just the same. And so I can't have, I can't have a problem with this guy because my sin is just as, no, it's, no, it's not. There's actually levels of sin. There's levels of egregious behavior and some sin is going to, you know, there's some sin that's um, going forward to death and there's some sin that's going to uh, be covered by the blood of Jesus because we're acknowledging it and we're trying, we're striving against it and, and we're working. And one of the things that's helpful for me is, um, th- most of these, so these psalmists, it, it's not like they're all acknowledging these are the enemies of God. It, this is not personal vendetta. We're not talking about personal vendettas. You know, you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off. You know, you're, you're not going to say, Lord, crush his teeth. Like if, <laughs> if, if, if you go there, you, okay, you, you've, you've missed it. This isn't personal vendetta. This is Here's an actual enemy of God. And I, I for, for me, I, to me, it's the difference between, um, you know, a person who cuts me off in traffic and Planned Parenthood. Huge, huge difference between these two. And I have prayed and I will continue to pray, destroy Planned Parenthood, destroy the whole organization, bring them down, bring them to open ruin, uh, let them be exposed completely through Project Veritas or, or, or whatever else it is, and let them let them fall on this sword that they've been using to slay our children. That I th- I think is a perfectly Christian, perfectly righteous. And it's the kind of thing that's in keeping with what, with the imprecations. Yeah, exactly. And another thing to remember here is we're not talking, especially with David, we're not talking about a man who was, you know, kind of, Oh, in these imprecatory Psalms, we see the real David. We see how he really was. David is a man after God's own heart. He is a man shaped by the law of Moses, by the teachings of God. He, he was constantly pouring out himself to God. And what we're seeing here is the way that you deal with these feelings in a righteous setting. And so again, I think you guys are exactly right. I think there's a place for imprecatory Psalms. Now, again, as we work through this as a church, there's going to be some uncomfortable Sundays. And I tell you what, it's not very seeker sensitive uh, to sing these Psalms, even Psalm two. I think if we sung Psalm two, it's not very seeker sensitive. People come from outside like, what, what are these people talking about? These are dangerous folks. But yeah. at the same time, what do we want them to think? You know, what, what do we want them? Do we want them to, to bring them in and make them think, Hey, it, you're all right. We're all right. Everybody's all right. Or do we want them to understand this? This is the God we serve. He, he's a, he's not a tame lion. 
You know, he's, he's a person that's, that's this way. I, I know we're running up on our time. I, we don't have a lot of time to go into the Messianic Psalms. I think it's okay because they are the maybe most talked about in the church today as we talk about them as prophecy of Jesus. I think it's interesting to note, again, we're very Acts 2 oriented. In, in the first gospel sermon of Acts 2, uh, Peter makes uh, three Old Testament quotations, one from the book of Joel, the other two are from guess where? The Psalms, mic drop, right? <clears throat> on, on the Psalms being important. Last question. Do the Psalms have a place for the church today? I think we've we've uh, beat the pulpit enough on this one that people are going to kind of guess our answer. But, you know, how do the Psalms factor into the lives of Christians today? Um, I, I think we have a rampant Old Testament problem in the church of thinking the Old Testament. Jesus nailed the Old Testament to the cross, so I don't have to read Leviticus anymore. Um, he got rid of it. It's just not important. Um, what what do we do with the Old Testament today, guys? What Where's its place? Can I make more the Psalms? One real quick, one real quick point to the previous point, and then um, is you know I think somebody that's listening might say, okay, yes, we understand that the Psalms are important, the Psalms are important and stuff, but the imprecations are left in the Old Testament. We don't really see that. Psalm sixty nine is an imprecatory psalm, and it's all over the New Testament. It's one of the most you know if Psalm one ten is the most quoted, which which if if I'm remembering correctly, it has some imprecational um, flares to it, but Psalm sixty nine is just openly imprecatory, and it's one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. So just to our point, the, even these psalms, even these very ones, within the Christian theology, they're all they're all over it. So there's, I don't think there's any um, inconsistency there. But I'll let Jack lead off with the answer to uh, your question there. So uh, we did the Old Testament episode last season. I would highly recommend that of we we disrespect it so badly. I mean, there is so much of God and his principles in there. And there honestly, there's very little that got cut out and left behind. Obviously, we don't have the temple and the sacrificial system and, and some of those things anymore, but we do have a sacrifice. We do have a temple. We do have the the things that those morphed into as God brought us into this new covenant in Christ. But and and so some of the laws, the ceremonial laws, the shrimp and bacon and woven fabrics, sure. But uh, man, you see the disrespect that we have towards some of the, the legal principles that it establishes about men and women and women fighting in the army and things like that. Like, uh, no, God still cares about that stuff about marriage, divorce. And I mean, there, there's all kinds of principles that we leave behind because, Oh, that's, that's old law. No, we can learn a lot from that. And the same is true for the Psalms, even though it's not law, it's God's people dealing with God. And especially with David, the man after God's own heart. And you see, that God was pleased with his relationship with David, yet you see David angry with God. You see David sad and depressed. You see David and, and all of the psalmists. You see this this wave of emotions. And if we're just going to say, well, that now we're all stoics in Jesus. Now we all just have to even keel all the time. That doesn't work that way. And again, as, as we've made the point, the New Testament church would have been saturated in the psalms, singing these to each other all the time. <laughs> And so why on earth should we cut ourselves off from that and go, you know what is actually better is this thing that Chris Tomlin wrote five years ago where he sings the chorus, the same words over and over and over for five minutes. No, uh, like, let's go back to what we were given. And and I, I think this there's no way to say the Psalms are no longer relevant. I I. I can't even think of the case how that would be made to say that they're not relevant. They're left behind that at the cross. They were nailed to the cross with the old law. Again, way more of the law comes through the cross than we think uh, from a principle standpoint. But B, the Psalms aren't included in that even in itself. 
Yeah. I'm just hearing a really soft Hillsong voice. You call me out upon the waters. I'm I'm hearing that as you're singing. Sing, have you heard that song? Um, the great unknown. Anyways, it's a, it's a song that makes it, uh, it's so popular and it's, to me, it's the exact opposite of, of where we need to be. It's the, it's the height of, uh, not only pietism, but, um, uh, feminism that has, uh, and then we're, we're fine with that. And to your point, Jack, the command in, um, Ephesians five, which is, uh, interesting grammatically, structurally, the, there's two commands in, in Ephesians 5, um, 18, do not be drunk with wine. That's command one. Command two is be filled, namely with the spirit. And then he lists five participial phrases to follow, which are, it, it can be interpreted two ways. It could either be that the being filled with the spirit will happen by way of doing these things. That's one way. Or these things are going to follow from being filled with the spirit. But either way, being filled with with God's spirit, which we which last week's episode is what we should be doing, right? We should be filled up with the Holy Spirit of God. That's the only way we're going to bear fruit. It's the integrally connected to being filled with his spirit is what he says addressing one another in psalms which i which i would argue if we're not doing this that may be part of why we're not filled with the spirit because yeah. because because we're we're addressing one another with chris tomlin or, or hillsong and there's nothing going on there we you know we know for certain that the first century church was not singing he called me out upon the water or whatever you do something we know they weren't singing that but right. i think on the other hand we know they were singing psalm 110 they were singing yeah. it in their worship services. And b- before that, God's people were singing these songs for thousands of years. And, and I, I think there's something to be said as someone who wants to plug into church history as much as I can. There's something special about singing songs that faithful people have sung for thousands of years. This is what God's people have always sung to him. It's what they've always been mm-hmm. saying. And I feel a kinship with them when I sing these psalms. And so we talked about earlier, mechanically, there's the difficulty of, well, how do we sing the psalms? We don't have a psalm book with all the psalms in them. I actually have a Psalter uh, that's developed by a company called Crown and Covenant. Um, and it has all 150 psalms. Some of them are sectioned up, set to four-part harmony that we're used to singing and it has every psalm represented in there to tunes that we know. Uh, you know, for instance, you you all, Ooh. I would assume, know the song, This Is My Father's World. So imagine that I, we come in on Sunday and I say, let's sing Psalm 110. And we sing, the Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until cool. I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Mm. You can do this. You can find this. I, I would, my dream, this is pie in the sky, Titus dream would be to develop and publish a, a you know, from the church, for the church, Psalter that makes yeah. it accessible for people because we need this. We need yeah. to be seeing these Psalms. I've tried to integrate it in my own congregation where I can, but, but I'm just passionate about it. Why aren't we doing this? This is, yeah. this is uh, urgent is what I would say. Are you familiar with Matthew Basford's 
I'm not I no I did know there was another Psalter floating out there. So he's a member of the church that's published a, a book of Psalms. Yeah, and it's set to familiar hymns. So it takes I'm gonna give an example like all hail the power of Jesus' name and takes that tune and puts a psalm to it so you can you know, the Lord's I, I don't know, whatever. Uh, I can't think of the example. I've in all these boxes here, it's here somewhere. Um, but so someone's already it, done it's really, what you're saying. It's neat. Uh, it's I, I, you'd have to look over it. I mean, I, I think there's room though. for more, but I think it is a, a really neat tool that we have. So that Matthew Bassford, if anyone's interested in Googling that. Yeah. Shout, shout out to him for doing that. Cause I, I think again, this is oh, Matthew's a member of the, of the church of Christ. Oh, I don't Sorry, I, I just said you're going to do it better. I didn't mean that, Matthew. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> we appreciate I mean, we appreciate that. But I think there's, you know, if there's room for uh, three standard songbooks that you could find in the the pews of pretty much every church, then there's, you know, it, it would be sad if just one person's <laughs> like, hey, I did this and we go, oh, that's a neat thing. And then we're back to singing the same songs that we always sing. I, I think um, as we try to retrieve, and again, what's our goal? We want to be the church of the first century. Um, we've done that. We've, we've made that our mission for, for several years. And, and now I think sometimes we've reached a point where we say, now the church is restored. We just keep it like this forever. And here we go. I think as we reach for deeper retrieval, things like singing the Psalms are going to be the natural outpouring of that. And yeah, some people aren't going to like it. Some people are going to say, this is weird and different. I don't, I don't want this, but I think if you get into the Psalms and that's, you know, my, my, you know, maybe as we close here, my my cry for all the people that are listening, get into the Psalms, <laughs> make the Psalms a part of your life, feel with God, God is obviously feeling with you. Um, and I just think that, you know, by any means necessary, we've got to get the church singing these songs. Because Yeah, and, and what, one point I want to add to that is, um, this is going to take some work. And this whole thing of you know, we don't want to get together and do any kind of practice. We don't want to learn anything new. We want to be able to just come in here and do what we've always done. That needs to change. If we're going to bring, you know, you, you think about the, you know, the elements of God honoring worship. If if we've just lazily and sloppily strewn together a couple of random songs that are that are lacking in spirituality and that have nothing to do with what we're talking about that day and that neglect the commanded songs that we're to sing, which are, which are the Psalms, then there's something we're miss, missing on the side of worship. And, you know, we're, we're going to be big on saying we want to worship in a biblical way. And, and we think that the entirety of the biblical way is that we do it vocally only. Well, no, there's a lot more to it than that. The psalmists, when they were preparing these things, they worked hard on these things. They made it beautiful. Beautiful. They they put time into it. And our churches, we need to do it. We can't be lazy. There are other churches around us that we would we would say, well, they're not worshiping biblically. But one thing you can say is they're putting great effort into their worship, even if we wouldn't agree with the outcome of it. They're putting great effort and great time into it. And we have, that's something that, that is righteous. We need to offer to God something that really is a sacrifice. Lord, we worked on this. I've heard people say, you know, I'm, I would, I don't really want to learn any of the newer songs because they're not in four, four timing. And, you know, the Psalms are not going to be perfectly uh, uh, like, you know, our song books that are four verses and there's, you know, there's a stand, there's a couple stanzas and a refrain and, and it's super easy and, it may not be that way. It's going to require something of us, but there's going to be fruit when we put our, when we, you know, put ourselves into this. I think this, uh, that's a good way to put it. There's fruit that's going to come from it. This is one of those that somebody might look at me like, is, is it really that big of a deal? 
I think it would be. I think this is one of those I would love to find out because I, I I would love to see a church really commit to putting this into their worship and and seeing how it retrains the mind to think of God and, and builds that collective Christian culture. So I want to thank Titus for putting this one out there. Uh, I As much push as we can have for this, I think is going to be so much better in the long term. And so uh, that's our episode for this week. We do want to encourage you. And once again, like the Facebook page, follow us over there. Uh, the Focus Press Instagram, we're putting up quotes, clips, stuff like that as well. Um, what we wanted to ask you to do is that to help us grow. If you enjoy the show, find one of either the quote images or one of the short reel videos that says something from the episode, you know, that we, we cut these from these episodes, one that you like, one that resonated with you, share it to your friends, tell them about the podcast. Uh, that, that goes a long way, really helps us uh, broaden our audience and and we're, we're growing. We're seeing some growth. We appreciate uh, everyone who's listening and, and told a friend. I know word of mouth is basically the big, I mean, we can buy advertising. We can put stuff out. Word of mouth is how it's spread. If somebody's saying, Hey, I love this podcast. Check it out. So if you would do that for your Facebook friends or friends in real life, please do that. Titus, you had something else? Yeah, I was going to say, if we can get 100 shares on the next pot on this podcast, then you guys can vote. I will either record a video lesson teaching how to sing the Psalms and uh, one of the Psalms in four part harmony, or Daniel will record a four part harmony recording of Little Brown Church in the Veil <laughs> on our YouTube page. So you guys can choose 100 shares. I'm, I'm putting it on you. Uh, if you want to see it, go for it. Make it happen, guys. We, we need and that. It, and if, or, or we could get Titus and Jack to both have um uh reverse mohawks um which which <laughs> reverse mohawks wow shaving off only the middle part the old man cut so that's on the line people how we could do the monk cuts if we're gonna do the gregorian chant style thing we could we could do but that one right on the bangs there you yes. go M- bring yeah. back luther let's do it yeah. all right get those right. shares up we, we who knows what crazy thing might come of it but uh there you go. Help us out that way. I want to tell one other thing. Uh, again, this is a Focus Press podcast. We're having our biggest sale ever at Focus Press, books, DVDs. Uh, well, not the magazine, but uh, everything that we sell. So check that out at focuspress.org. It's a big 25% off sale. So check that out. And we'll be back next week on Who Let the Dogma Out. <laughs>